Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast, dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of the Coach's Edge and Kramer Basketball, and it's part two of our series with Coach Anthony Troshak on in-season player development. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, make sure you go back and check that one out as well. As within these two episodes, we really talk about how we can continue to improve and develop our players throughout the course of the season. We get specific with finishing, shooting, ball handling, attacking pressure, some of the drills that you can use, what pre-practice should look like, and how our goals as a team and our goals for player development need to go hand in hand. We can't have great player development drills, but they don't complement what we're trying to get accomplished in those games with our basketball team. That's huge when it comes to designing great practice plans and improving our players for better in-game performance and ultimately better team performance. Now, I wanted to shout out one of our players before we get to this episode because she was just selected as a McDonald's All-American. Yes, McDonald's All-American. Grace Van Sluten, from Toledo, Ohio. She now plays at IMG Academy and she's finishing up her senior year and then she's going to play for the University of Oregon. And one, it's a huge accomplishment to be ranked as one of the top players in the nation, going to Oregon, obviously huge women's basketball program there. Um, But to be a McDonald's All-American, it says something about you. And what I can tell you about grace that translates to any coach, any player that's listening is she's one of the most hungry players that I've ever had the chance to work with. She's one of the best listeners that I've ever had the chance to work with. Think about this. I get a chance to work with a couple thousand players every single year. And there's many players who are good, solid players, but because they can be content with themselves and their ability They're not necessarily so hungry to keep learning and growing and maybe even working as hard as they possibly could. Grace is at the pinnacle of the attitude that you need to have if you want to get the best out of yourself. I mean, shoot, last year I'm thinking she was at a camp with eighth and ninth graders that were at one of her camps. She's walking in as one of the best players in the nation and she's coming in and doing a workout with them and she's the hardest worker. She's the best listener. And I would say, even though she was the best player in the gym, she probably got the most out of our camp compared to anybody else that was there because she pays that much attention to detail. She's that hard of a worker and she's a pro in how she goes about her business. And does that mean you're gonna be a McDonald's All-American and go to one of the best basketball schools in the nation? No, but what it does mean is you give yourself the best chance to reach your potential, your God-given potential in whatever that is because you're not satisfied, because you're hungry, because you're humble enough to always keep growing in your game, no matter how much you already know and no matter how good you already are. So shout out to Grace uh, for being selected as McDonald's All-American. Super, super cool for you. And, um, you know, no question, she's, she embodies a lot of the skill development aspects uh, that we try to reinforce with all of the players that we work with. So thank you for listening to this episode. I'm excited for uh, to hear our feedback after our coaches have listened to uh, both of these. And if there's anything that I can do for you, especially at this point in the season, please reach out to me. It's contact at KramerBasketball.com, at Coaches Edge one on Twitter. Um, Facebook is Kramer Basketball, all that good stuff. 
Thanks for checking us out. Let's get to the show. That's a great point. That's a, it's a really good one on finishing the putback, getting the offensive rebound. Generally, one foot finish, your movement is taking you somewhere, given the situation, but two foot finishes. Again, players have more control. And if you're going on two feet, you have an out. You have that split second before you get back up in the air, say, this isn't going to work out. I got to kick it out. I can make a pass. It gives us that option, whereas one foot finish, we're up in the air and we're in trouble. Now, there's a ton of different ways that we can work on some of our finishes, right? I mean, again, depending on where you are getting these actions should determine the type of drills that you're putting in place during practice. These finishes that we just talked about, are they happening in transition? Well, we need to have more transition drills that complement this, right? That could be a, something as basic as a chase down drill where the offensive player starts at, you know, three, four feet, five feet inside of the foul line or inside of the half court line. Defensive player starts at the half court line and the coach is at half court. And as soon as the coach throws the basketball into the offensive player, it's a chase down in their goal. Or the coach doesn't even need the basketball at all. Give the ball to the defensive player. They got the ball. They literally throw it five, six feet, whatever it is, ahead of them to the offensive player, and they're chasing them down, trying to score. We can work on our player development. It's one-on-one, -on -one, finishing, and it gives us a good chance to teach the situations that we've just talked about from a finishing standpoint. Now, maybe those attack type finishes are happening for you more so in the half court set. So maybe we want to design some drills where they're in a position to attack based on a closeout. So let's start at the wing on the three point line. If I'm an offensive player, I got the basketball in my hands. I'm going to put the basketball on the defensive player's back and I'm going to rip it right or left and get into my finish. And as soon as the defender feels the basketball move, now they're trying to recover. Or maybe I put uh, the defensive player on one side or the other, and I put the basketball on their hip, and we're both facing the basket. As soon as I move the basketball off their hip, we're going. Or let's say we want to add a little more of a variable to it. So we have, let's say, an offensive player out on the perimeter. We have the defensive player out in front, and the ball is coming from behind, right? So the defensive player doesn't know when the basketball is going to get in. Offensive player is going to be able to see the basketball coming in, boom, throw the basketball out, and then they're really attacking that closeout quickly. Uh, this could be a situation where you, you do something like that and do a two-on-one or a two-on-two. -two. Um, there's a full series that we do called the closeout series off of this that is, is pretty effective. And, and one that I recently saw that was really good too was player has the basketball on the perimeter, defenders in front, but the defensive player takes one or two slides to the right or to the left. And that cues the offensive player who has the ball, which way to drive. And after the defensive player has made their one or two slides, if they touch a cone, they touch a cone. They're in a recovery trying to stop the offensive player who's driven from taking. That's a good cue because it's telling the offensive player when to drive and it puts the defense player in a recovery position. And again, it's another good one. That's a lot of fun. There's an infinite amount of finishing drills that, that we could touch on. But again, it's all about us putting them in a position from a player development standpoint that com that complements the team development that we have for them. We want them to execute when they're in games.
I think that's a, a key point. And I was going to ask you on one of my questions when we were talking player development, but you've basically answered it is, you know, the coaches say, well, I don't know if I have time for player development. I, I always feel like I'm running out of time. I got to do this. I got to do that. But you're saying like, you, you need to mesh those together and you layer one thing on top of the other, your player development with your system and strategy or your, your schemes. And you're working on two things at once. So that, that coach that says they don't have time, well, you're not just working on player development, you know, going against air or just some ball handling stationary. You're working on things that are going to happen in your game. You're working on your offense. So is that what you su would suggest for a coach? Because as a coach, at times I, I'm like, man, I run out of time. And the things that I were to cut out of a practice plan would be like a skill development type of thing, you know, because I feel like, well, we need this for uh, the game in a day or two, especially in season. Well, is that what you're saying, though, for a coach that might have the argument of, you know, I don't know, if, I don't have enough time in practice. You don't have time not to do it. <laughs> you don't have time not to do this. Now, if if your if your vision of player development is 30 minutes of your practice and the kids are doing block training the whole time and there's no decisions to be made and they're not going full speed because they know exactly what they're supposed to do and there's no decision making and some of the things that you're doing, they really don't apply to what you're trying to execute in the game. You're screwed already, right? But what I'm talking about as far as doing things that apply to what you want them to do in a game, We've broken down, and if we need to, to slow things down and pull it back, and, and of course we'll take defenders out, and of course we'll walk through it, and of course we want this to be ramped up throughout the course of the season. We might not be going with all of this stuff with, with defenders and bodies out there from the preseason and those first few weeks of practices. When we're, no, this, this is a progression of by the time we're getting to this point in the season, we want our players to be – getting better, doing the things that they're going to be doing most in the game. And we need them to be shooting better at this point in the season. We need them to be finishing at a higher level. We need them to be handling the basketball against pressure and attacking and breaking down the defense better than they ever have before. Because if we want to make a run, we're going to be playing against the best teams. We have to do this stuff, right? So again, I, I just, you don't have the luxury not to do it. To me, it's more about making sure that if what we're doing complements what we will do in a game we're on the right track we can't just pick out our favorite player development drills and say this is our player development when in fact it has nothing to do with the player development that we actually want to see our players execute on a friday night with a league championship on the line oh i i 100 agree and you you answered my question uh perfectly um and i think also Kids nowadays need to know the why, and you're explaining the why because you're gonna. This is what's gonna happen on a Friday, and you show them film. This is when you're gonna use this finish. This is when you're gonna use this attacking move, or this is when you did use it. That's even better when you go look at that. You know, this is transitioning from practice to game, and that's ultimately what we want as coaches. Another thing that I want to mention is it's more fun when you're doing it like that compared to that block practice. They know what's coming. Um, you know. It's repetitive. Like when you have a live body or if you can make it competitive, it's fun. Um, for example, uh, this week in my, my PE class, I gave kids assignment. They had to get their heart rates up and they could do it any way they wanted. You know, they could run the track, they could play volleyball. And I had kids doing one-on-one -on -one off the back. You know, something I learned from you that I taught them. And that was what they put, they picked out of anything they could have done. 
to get their heart rates up. So they're telling me it's fun because they got to pick anything and they're playing one-on-one off the back. So it's fun. Kids want to have fun in practice. And that's, it's, if you can implement that into your player development, it's, it's awesome. And you, you brought up a great point of you gave your kids ownership, right? That, yeah, that's a PE class. We can give our kids ownership and practice as well. Like if, if you really do a good job of breaking down, this is important. This is important. And listen, I'm going to give you guys five minutes or 10 minutes of this practice to choose what you want to do to work on. That's going to apply to what you need to do in a game. And you've already shown them over the course of the season, over the course of the multiple years that you've been coaching your program, whatever it is, all the ways that they can get better. They're going to be able to pick something similar to that ball on the back drill that is fun. They're getting better. They're getting their reps up. They're, they're competing. That's what we want with, with our players, right? And another part of that is I know, I know coaches will start to shorten their practices at this point in the season. And I'd much rather you shorten your practices than start to pull back the intensity. I think the intensity of practices is, is, a, is a sacred thing that we want to make sure we're, we're keeping with our kids. Um, but at the same time, if you're cutting your practice short, but that means they're not getting the shots up, they're not getting the finishes in, they're not getting the reps up. Well, don't be surprised if they look rusty when the game comes around. And so don't sacrifice some of that for the skill development aspects of, of the game. Put them in, doing the best you can at, hey, we're going at a high intensity. We're still getting a lot of reps up. This is game application. And then we're able to you know, kind of see what it is that we need to be able to have our kids perform. Now, one thing we haven't talked about, Coach, is shooting the basketball. And I talked about some of our form shooting series. A, a kid should easily be able to knock out 50 form shots before practice has even started. They made 50 shots already. That's a win. We've talked about some finishing. If they're getting in, you know, 20-plus, hopefully even more than that, finishes every single practice, that's a really good thing. And then as we're starting to get up shots, what are the type of shots that you hunt down throughout the course of your season? For most teams, if we're shooting spot-ups, especially inside-out spot-up shots, relocations, preferably inside-out relocation shots, and then sometimes where you're pulling up, decide, I'm still a pull-up fan. I still think that there's a time and a place for shooting a good pull-up, especially with some of the teams that we work with. That's a really good shot for some of the the teams that we work with and specifically uh, certain players where it matches their game. So we're working on some of the main shot types that we get throughout the course of the season. That's really important. We can add this into decision-making drills where, um, you know, you throw the basketball out to uh, a player and they have the choice in the very beginning to catch and shoot right away. And if they can't catch and shoot, they can throw it to their teammate and they take the shot. And if they miss, the defensive player gets to take their spot. And if they make it, defensive player has to go back to the end of the line. So you might put two shooters at the seams. You might put a defender at the free throw line. Passer comes from underneath. Throw the basketball into one of those two players. Defensive player closes out. If they shoot and make it, they get to stay. They shoot it and miss it. They're out. You can add the passing aspect to it so that player gets it. They could shoot it or they could pass it. If the player gets the pass, they automatically have to shoot it. Again, you, you miss a shot. You're out. You get, the, you get hit. 
where the shot is made on you as a defender, you go to the end of the line, passer rotates up to become the next defensive player. That's a fun competitive shooting drill uh, that you can do with, with your kids. And then you can start to add the dribble drive component and say, okay, on this one, if you get the ball, you can't pass it, you can catch and shoot or you can put it on the deck and it's one-on-one -on -one right there. So, okay, maybe you put a dribble limit to it, whatever that might look like, a time limit to it also works as well until you're playing, okay, you can catch and shoot, you can share the sugar and pass, or you can put it on the deck and play one-on-one. -on -one. If you score, you get to keep your spot. Those are good ones that I'm working on attacking a closeout and just put that defender in different locations where you would catch the basketball in the game. A lot of teams playing off the seams, you know, they're playing in the wing corner area. So those are good locations to do drills like this. We talked about the relocation aspect of this. You can do the same drill, but just have the players cross so if the player is at, at the seams, you say go, and they start to cross across the top of the key, and then the pass comes in from underneath, and then they work on catching, shooting off that relocation, so on and so forth uh, from there. You're a team that shoots it in transition. A uh, drill that I like, CMU shooting drill, I got it from uh, Jordan Bitzer when he was playing there, is um, it's a good conditioner, and it's a high-intensity drill, and player starts at half court, and their partner's underneath. They run in from half court to the three-point line and they got to catch and shoot a three and they after every shot that they take no matter if they make it or miss it they got to run back to half court and touch half court they shoot until they made three catch and shoot threes then they make a pull up going right a pull up going left every time going back to touch half court they got to catch it at the three-point line rip it get all the way to the basket and score a layup so they're at six makes they have to do the same thing coming back out so after they've made their layup they make two more pull-ups and then they make three more threes. And for a college player, they should be able to make all 11 shots in 90 seconds or less. And maybe you don't want to, you want to have that intensity, but maybe you don't want all the running aspect because you want to save a little bit of their legs. Do the same drill. Just have them take a couple steps back and a couple steps forward instead of run to half court every time. You can tweak the times. Maybe you want to keep it at 90 seconds for a high school player. They're going to get more shots up. Might be a little more uh, applicable for what they're able to, to shoot. Tons of different shooting drills that you can do. But again, making sure that it reps out what we're actually trying to do in the game. Um, and then we got to make sure we're shooting free throws throughout the course of uh, practice. And I'm not a fan of, hey, practice is finished. Shoot 20 free throws. I think for dedicated players, they should be doing that anyway. But as far as what replicates game-like shooting, we want to sprinkle free throws in throughout the course of practice. I want to shoot some free throws when I'm fresh. I want to shoot some free throws in the middle. I want to shoot free throws when I'm tired. Have kids shoot one-on-ones. Have them rotate. Um, you know, a couple tips as far as shooting free throws, I call our four H's of free throw shooting is hands, hips, head, and hold. My hands are in a shooting position before I move the ball. My, my hips are back before I move the basketball. Ball moves first and then my body unloads once the basketball has started to come up. My head is on the target. Be surprised at how many kids shoot free throws and their eyes actually aren't on the target and they've already started moving the basketball up and started that shot. That's a big mistake. And then our fourth H is we wanna hold the follow through until we see the result of the shocks. We wanna to stick to our shot. We want to believe in it. We want to hold it. We want to hold our follow through with both hands until we see the result of the shot that builds really good habits, in my opinion. And we can reinforce those throughout the course of our practice. 
And I like to make it competitive as well. So if we have, you know, 12 players, maybe we'll put six at a couple baskets or we'll divide those 12 players into three or four baskets and we'll have them say, okay, we're all shooting one and ones. We need to make seven shots. Um, you know, you're, if you miss it, you're already rotating out. Next player comes in and, and, and you'll shoot. You want to make it even more difficult. Your kids will like this drill. This is a drill we did overseas. If you divided your 12 players into three teams, four players on one end, four players on the other end, four players in the middle, those are three teams. Team, both teams, you say go, say, hey, guys, we got to make 10 free throws, wins the game. Basket one, shoots the one and one, they make it. Player gets it back, they shoot the one and one, they make it. Okay, they get to stay at the basket, next person comes up and shoots. Now at basket two, they're shooting at the same time. That player takes the shot, they miss it. Their whole team bumps off. Their whole team now goes to half court. The team that was waiting at half court, they jump down to court two, and now they get to begin shooting. So you're still shooting one-on-one, -on -one, so there's still some pressure there of being able to get to a certain amount of makes. But you got the added pressure of there is a team waiting to get on, hoping that you miss, probably heckling you from half court while you're shooting your free throws so that they can get on and begin shooting their free throws. That's a really fun uh, free throw game that that I really like, and we'll do that at some of our camps sometimes. No, I like that a lot. Um, speaking of free throws, you know, this time of the season, making inside shots, playing defense, and making free throws, what's gonna what's gonna carry your team? Um, and Coach Donovan, who was on the podcast uh, last spring, we talked because uh, I was fortunate enough to coach the the best free throw shooting in the state according to BCAM statistics. We shot seventy four percent from the line last year. And he just kind of asked me, you know, what do you guys do? And I said, jokingly, I said, well, you got to have your best free throw shooter shoot the most free throws. <laughs> and that's what I told him originally, because we, had, but we did have some solid free throw shooters, one through five, basically, or one through four, at least. And, you know, they shot a lot of free throws. So that did help our percentage, but he was asking me, and as he was asking me, um, a couple of things that I thought of helped us. And I didn't think about it until after the, after the fact, when I was talking to him is we did form shooting your faces and we always do it right in front of the basket and we slowly progressively move back. So the players will get like 25 makes in, you know, five or six minutes straight on at the hoop. So they're constantly seeing that ball go through the hoop from a straight on view. And I personally think that helped our free throws. Um, other things we didn't practice. Like I've never been a huge, uh, we're going to get on the line. We're going to run if you miss this. Um, I want them going to the line with positive thoughts in their head, not, you know, and if they miss it, you know, in practice, how's that going to impact in the game? But we will put them on the line um, for like just random things like, and we're going to shoot, we're going to shoot, and then we're going to go in transition. So it's like those two game shots. And then sometimes we'll be playing like cutthroat and you have to get a stop and there's a foul. And I'm like, all right, you foul them. You know, if you, if he makes that shot, you guys get to go on defense now. So there's like a little added pressure with it. So, but I've never been like, I, I feel like if you make free throws too much of a big thing, you know, it, it becomes too big and that's all they think about. And they think about not missing them. And, you know, free throws are important, but you can't make, you can't make them, you know, a mountain out of a molehill type of thing with it. Um, but you're talking about free throws made me think of that. You, you did a great point. And you mentioned another great way that we can sprinkle in free throws throughout our practices is, okay, we're working on our transition offense. We're working on our press break or our press or a half court trap. And instead of going directly into that or even running a possession with that, 
you shoot free throws first, right? You shoot free throws out of it and then you get into um, whatever it is that you're setting up. It's a great way to get some extra reps in and it's game-like, right? Because you're, you're scrimmaging off of this action. Say, okay, we're shooting this free throw. We're going down and back. Then we're setting it up. We're going to shoot another free throw. And so that's a great way to, to do it. A um, couple things to, as we wind this down, um, if I could just give like some big piece advice for coaches who are thinking about their practice plans and how they can develop their players throughout their practices is, again, you want to be great at what happens most. So make sure you're, you're emphasizing what happens a lot specifically with your team. From a player development standpoint, how are your players getting into positions to attack and score? Make sure some of your player development drills are emphasizing what happens most there. So is it transition? Is it post touches? Is it help side situations? Is it closeout situations? What are those specific situations where they really have to score a lot? Let that be your guide in deciding what type of player development drills to use. And notice as, as Coach Strode, I've been talking, very little of this has been one-on-one. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do one-on-one. -on -one. I, I think it's great for building the reps and the, and, and the footwork and the understanding and you know, we want to, we want to show it and we, we want to break it down and teach it and have them rep it, but we want to get live uh, pretty quick and see what we're working with and make sure that you're using different types of advantage and disadvantage drills uh, from whether it's one on O all the way up to four on four to help really replicate the situations that you're really going to try to attack from or to recover from in a game. Yeah, agree. And it's, it's a, important thing with player development in the season because at the end of the season you, you want your players you know especially if you're a young team you want them to be you know much better off than they were and I think you, you nailed a couple points with you know they, they got to want it they got to be able to you know, have a pre-practice routine and get those extra reps up because that's the compound interest and I think that's important for players to understand throughout a season how much they can improve with those extra reps or just those those reps they're getting every day and it goes back to you know again to not what you're doing but how you, how you do that too um so you have to hold them to that standard and it's easy for that to slip you know especially after the first week where you really say hey we're going to go hard until you make a mistake and then they get comfortable and they get back in that that comfort zone and you got to really try to keep pushing them out of that comfort zone keep pushing them out because that's where growth occurs outside of your comfort zone um, but, you know, the overall, if coaches want to listen to more, I think they just go back to the other podcasts where you go over pre-practice and they go into a little more detail with your finishing. You went over into more detail if they're wondering more about your um, your player development in season and also the coaches that be another great place for them to start. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you brought up one point with the, the coaches. I was talking to a, a varsity coach who's a friend of mine and he used to run a, a lot of camps. He wasn't really into individual training, but he ran some pretty big like off-season player development camps. And he said, you know, Steve, you're going to keep doing this? I was like, yeah. He's like, you, you know, you're, you're really planning on keeping doing this for a while? I was like, yeah, man, I love it. And he's like, man, he's like, I just couldn't do it anymore. He's like, it takes so much energy to be on like that all the time and I never thought of it that way because I think the same thing about him as a coach I, I I think it's the same thing for for us as coaches if you're working with 12 
players on your varsity team. You still have to bring that energy, that, that urgency. Like it's, it's urgent what we're working on right now. It's urgent. It has purpose. It is important. And it's tiring, man. It's exhausting as a coach. Like I get it when, when you're in the gym for an hour and a half or two hours every single day with, with the same players and it is a long season and you're like, guys or girls, like, just like, let's just get this done. Right. But if you want to be your best as a coach, it starts with you and you have to be on, you have to be on for those two hours of practice with a, with a sense of urgency in everything that you do. So your players also feel that what they're doing is important to the long-term effects that you're trying to get with them as individual players and more importantly as a team. Yeah. And I think that's where the power of um, assistant coaches is extremely beneficial too. Um, on those days where you might not have it or where it does wear and it does, you know, burn you out a little. And I think that's important. I mean, I've, I've never come across, maybe you have, but I've never come across a great program where the head coach doesn't go. I have the best assistant coaches and or lower level coaches too and i think it's just important so any lower level or assistant coaches listening to this you know you guys are huge um and i think i think you're vital and time is probably more important than, than the head coach in, in, in your role um so i think that is you know extremely extremely beneficial to a program to be successful absolutely coach um to all of our coaches thanks for checking this episode out we hope that you find it beneficial uh, for any questions, reach out to Coach Troy at Coach's Edge One on Twitter. Um, email contact at kramerbasketball.com. Check out Coach's Edge.coach, C O A C H S E D G E.coach uh, for more information about everything else that we have going on with our membership. We have coaches in a handful of countries, countries, <laughs> not yet, not countries. I was going to say counties. We have coaches in a handful of states around the country who are prepped for like a deep run. And so this is an exciting time for the Coach's Edge. We work with a variety of programs, but really when you get into March and you know, like you have some teams who are saying, hey, we're like ranked, you know, third in the state, things like that. You know, we're, we're, we really have a chance to um, make a run in March. It's an exciting time of year. And regardless of where you guys are at coaches, whether you're in a rebuild, you're in a restart, you're new to a program as a coach, or you've been coaching for decades, this is the best season you've had or the worst season you've had. Stick with it. Maintain a positive attitude. Finish strong. Keep up the great work. We appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, and as always, get after today. Thank you for checking out this episode with the Coach's Edge, brought to you by CoachesEdge.coach. Man, we're serving coaches uh, throughout the nation, and this is a really exciting time to serve so many basketball coaches because they're in that stretch run of the season. And we work with a lot of high-level teams within our coaches' membership. Now, we work with coaches who are in a rebuild. They're a brand-new varsity coach. They're just trying to get the ball rolling. But we work with other teams that are, shoot, they might win a state title this year. Who knows? And uh, so it's really exciting to be able to work with so many different programs, to be able to be able to support coaches as they have different needs. And obviously winning is fun. And so to be able to see, you know, a region champion like Carver's Bay in South Carolina and them really getting ready for a big playoff push is exciting. To be able to, you know, be in touch with Frankenmuth Girls Basketball 
and them being ranked as a top 10 team all season long. To be able to text and call uh, coach has just been super cool for, for me to do and try to support all of our other high-level teams uh, wherever they are in the country has been pretty awesome. So good luck to all of our coaches, whether you are a Coach's Edge member or not, as you head in to the stretch run of the season. Thanks for listening to the show. And as always, get after it today.